Hello and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, sharing quirky stories from inspiring people. Join your host, Charlie Hyde, as she talks to a range of wonderful guests who aren't afraid to be a little bit different. It's a pleasure to welcome you to The Road Less Travelled. I am super excited for our conversation. We have loads of stuff to talk about. So if the listeners don't know who you are, could you share a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So my name is Louis Stafford. My pronouns are they, them or he, him. Um, I am a trans non-binary person and I am a managing director of a company called Learnist. Um, I'm 36 years old, I think. Gosh, I can't even remember how old I am. Um, I'm based in West Yorkshire, originally from Newcastle, and I have dyslexia and ADHD. That's my that's everything you need to know about me, I think, in a sentence. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm particularly excited today to talk about your work with Learnest and your, your founding of Learnest and, and your journey to that, because I think what you're trying to achieve is, is so important for as, as a person who also identifies as, as LGBT, it, LGBTQ+. It's really important that um, companies have the right support to know how to um, make a truly inclusive environment. Could you tell us a little bit yeah. about Learnest and your journey to setting it up? Yeah, sure. So my background really is in community development work. And when I came out as trans about 12 years ago and I transitioned, um, I experienced some transphobia um, in my workplace. And so my really, my formative experience of coming out was this negative um, you know, this negative treatment that I experienced from my employer, which was very unfortunate. Um, but it set me on a trajectory, really. I took took my employer to tribunal and it, it kind of taught me a lot about, you know, my rights as a trans person in the workplace, which at the time, you know, I didn't think I had any, you know, like I didn't really think. And back then, especially, there wasn't a lot of information. Um, I was very new to any terminology, any language around, you know, being trans and how that interacted in the workplace. Um, so I was really learning on my feet. And with the support of my union at the time, I ended up winning at tribunal. Um, and it really, it really solidified with me that I wanted to support other trans people to know that they don't have to put up with negative experiences or treatment at the hands of their employer mm -hmm. that you know we are protected by um the equality act and you know we have human rights and the right to dignity and work and things like that um so that set me off on this career path of basically working with trans and non-binary people. I worked for an organization for a number of years called LGBT Foundation then, um, who are a very large LGBT charity in the UK. Um, and I set up their trans program and really led on their directory of work with trans and non-binary people, um, which they have, it's been in existence now for about six years, that program of work, and it's still going strong. Um, and I really, really enjoyed doing that, but working directly with trans people, I, being a trans person myself, I basically suffered from huge, huge burnout. Mm -hmm. And I ended up kind of 
not really understanding what was happening to me, but realizing that actually the work was taking so much of a toll on me personally um, that I had to just completely step back from it. And, and that really took, put me in touch with this kind of idea that actually, you know, that I could create my own, um, basically I went freelance and I sort of set my own personal work up on my own terms. So I was doing kind of piecemeal bits of work here and there for providers in my personal network. And I sort of realized that actually there's something that I had gained in terms of my quality of life from kind of doing that. And I wanted to support other LGBTQ plus people not necessarily into employment per se, but mm -hmm. to to access kind of an understanding for themselves as like what what does work look like for you and what does a good work life balance look like for you. Um, so I got together with some other colleagues of mine, also from the third sector, who had got incredibly burnt out, mm -hmm. but were incredibly talented, passionate people. So we got together and we set up Learnist. Um, and Learnist, our vision is, you know, a world where LGBT people have access to employment, personal development opportunities, and economic security, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, and we do that through creating meaningful opportunities, um, for LGBT people to access paid employment and personal and professional development um, and overcome the kind of trauma that many of our community members live with as a result of dealing with homophobia, transphobia or biphobia. Um, and yeah, that's it really. And I, I guess part of that as well is I also bring in um, an element of intersectionality into our work because I live with ADHD and neurodiversity. So we work with LGBT people who have dual conditions or like dual lived experience that might also, you know, act as a barrier to access and employment such as like disability. Um, or a lot of the people that we work with are yeah, neurodiverse or there's, you know, single parents or students, you know, so there's a lot of other things going on in their lives as well as their identity as being LGBT. Um, so yeah, we've been in existence now for, for three, we've been trading now for three years mm -hmm. um, and we run a peer mentoring program for LGBT people. So really, we've developed that in-house so it's a, it's kind of a hybrid model between formal professional coaching and peer mentoring so we match for example a trans person um with a fellow trans person that's maybe a little bit further on in their life in their journey their transition and in their career um so we give kind of professional coaching support through that relationship, but also it's kind of peer mentoring because there's that shared lived experience as well. Um, and then we've just launched a new advocacy program where we're supporting LGBT people who are facing discrimination actively in their employ in their employment so that we work with the individual and the employer to kind of have conversations about how to overcome mm -hmm. challenges. Um, so that's very new, but it's going really, really well. Um, and in the next 12 months, actually, we're planning on opening an LGBTQ plus community hub in West Yorkshire, Amazing. which will act as a bit of a springboard um, and a space for, for where we can, you know, actually deliver some of our in-person sessions. Um, but also through that space, we're hoping to set up like a retail space where we stock products made by LGBT businesses and things like that. So yeah, that's us in a nutshell, really.
it's super exciting I think there's lots of things that we can we can unpack as we kind of go through this this podcast and I think let's let's start with with you and your kind of journey to to, to learning specifically which is around obviously you experienced the burnout and I think I've, I've had quite mm. a few guests on the podcast who've the, the pivotal moment where they've decided to, to change their their path has been a burnout whether that's been a burnout of, of overwork or sounds like f for you the burnout was more kind of um, an emotional burnout of doing something mm. people say you should do what you're passionate about and you are but it's almost you're so close to it that actually it becomes all consuming and then you, you end up burning out sort of off, off the back of that does that sound like a kind of reasonable mm. summary of your experience yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of, you know, what especially what the trans and non-binary community are going through at the moment. And I'm not sure, you know, how much your listeners would necessarily know about that, but there's a huge backlash against trans and non-binary communities and I suppose like progress of, of in, to include trans and non-binary people. Um, so doing that work, whilst also being a trans and non-binary person yourself, mm. I think took a great kind of emotional toll. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people in these spaces working, you know, representing minority communities mm. that they also belong to themselves that, you know, by proxy get this kind of, um, you know, heightened emotional kind of labor that they're putting into that work. Um, and that was certainly the case for me. Um, but I also think a big part of my burnout was the fact that I had undiagnosed ADHD mm -hmm. and I worked in a very, very, um, you know, competitive environment, not not competitive in the sense that it was a corporate environment, but, you know, even in, in the third sector, in the charity sector, there's a different sort of work culture. And it's not mm -hmm. about, it's not about, getting the biggest paycheck it's about you know demonstrating your commitment to the cause and I really mm. felt that personally um it was really really difficult and quite stressful um for me because what I've learned about my ADHD is I need to take time out and I need to be gentle with myself in times where I am feeling overwhelmed but there was no breathing space in that work because the the demand on my time was relentless. So whenever I did take time off, I felt very, very guilty mm -hmm. and I felt like I was letting everybody around me down. And that just exasperated the the kind of shame I was feeling mm -hmm. about, you know, not performing um, at the same level as some of my colleagues and things like that, um, which is one of the brilliant things about you know, being in a position now where I manage my own time. Yeah. Um, because with ADHD, there are times where I have hyper-focus mm -hmm. and I can easily work a 70-hour week and it not phase me at all. In fact, I love it and I enjoy it. But then there are, there are other times where I'll struggle to turn on my emails, you know, mm -hmm. and I think I just have to accept that there are different periods in my like work life that, you know, sometimes I'm going to be hyper productive, other times I'm really not going to be. Um, but the more pressure I put on myself in those times of that, that downtime, mm -hmm. the, the longer that downtime will last, you know. So I have to just be super gentle, just kind of take it as it comes, try and relax, accept that 
in in some periods of downtime you know something's slip you know and that's just the way it is um it's frustrating but the more i kind of chastise myself for that yeah. the worse the pressure will feel if that makes sense um so yeah that's a that's really my personal journey and yeah well, i think it's a, it's a really important point because um i was talking in the what would be the previous podcast which isn't out yet but will be by the time this goes live is yeah. um we were talking about how the traditional constructs of a of a working day since the post-industrial revolution i.e this idea of clocking in and clocking out actually doesn't yeah. work for most people yet we have just trudged through it arbitrarily mm. and blindly and the pandemic has kind of caused a lot of people to question do i really work best this way maybe mm -hmm. there are other ways that i work best and actually you're almost you're almost ahead of the curve in asking those questions of yourself at the time yeah. to be able to say okay well actually this is when i work best and this is when i'm not working best and being able to have that self-awareness to recognize okay this is a hyper focus period we're on guys this is going to be great and yeah also those periods i say okay i need to to step to step back because actually when you've described what you do today versus what you were doing previously in a way ostensibly you sound almost a lot busier because you've you've got mm. learnest we'll talk a little bit about the the lgbt consortium for your, your trustee of so you're actually doing huge huge number of things how, mm. how do you balance that between making sure that you don't burn out again mm. i i think one of the things that i found super helpful and i only come I only came to sort of realize this through actually working with an ADHD coach myself um, is being authentic as much as I can. I tell everybody about my ADHD. Mm -hmm. I tell people when I'm having a bad mental health day because I also suffer with anxiety and depression. I am really, really passionate and committed to present in the most authentic version of myself as possible in work. Because what I realized was that I was, in my previous job, I was putting on this brave face, this <laughs> smiley, happy Louie. And then I was going home and I was absolutely crashing. And mm. it was like, I couldn't keep that, I couldn't keep that face up, you know, and I couldn't keep up that facade. So I think one of the things that really helps me to recognize when when things are so, starting to shift or when the mm -hmm. tides are starting to turn on my like ability to show up to work every day and recognize my energy levels. One of the things that really helps me keep in touch with that is the fact that I'm I'm not having to fake it to anybody in the mm -hmm. first place. Um, and people around me, I think generally have come to understand and expect that, you know, they send me an email. Sometimes I'll get back to them immediately. Sometimes it'll be three weeks. And if it's urgent, they'll they'll push me a bit. But like, I think generally people, because they understand the way I work, you know, no one's get, no one's, I've not built up that expectation with people where there's that additional pressure. So I think authenticity and being real with people is one of the best things we can do in terms of creating a, a nicer work environment for everybody. Mm. Um, because if we can be more honest about what we're dealing with, if we can share a little bit about what we're going through in our personal lives, if we can be more authentic, I think we we transform workplaces to not be so performative. Mm. Um, 
and not be so hard on each other, you know, and on ourselves through that. Um, so I think that's probably one of the main ways I manage burnout. Um, but also, like you say, I think just being in touch with what works for me and what doesn't and through tr through like years now of trial and error mm -hmm. of just you know learning on the job and kind of figuring out okay this worked really well as a as an approach for me this was terrible and made me feel like really bad or you know and just kind of practicing those coping techniques I suppose um has been another thing definitely yeah I think the authenticity is a, is a huge part and one thing that so I come from the corporate world and for yeah. about three, three years, I was the fake it till you make it. I'm going to be the perfect, perfect corporate robot. And it worked yeah. for three years. And I thought I was the absolute boss because I had it nailed because I could put the face <laughs> on all the time. But yeah. then I had a burnout in 2000, well, last year, 2021. And right. just like you, it felt like the whole face was coming crashing down. And as it was crashing mm. down, you know, they would meet, I would go to meetings and they'd ask you to put your camera on and be happy. And you had to do all these quizzes. So who wants to do another blooming lockdown quiz, right? And uh, yeah. you, you'd have to put this face on and look really happy and fun. And then I would turn the computer off and it would almost be like a physical fatigue from the yeah. effort of trying to keep the face on. And what I realized is that it's actually, if you try to keep your work personality and your own personality is completely separate things yeah. you can keep this up for a while but you it will eventually crash however long that takes mm. because they are you're not two different people and you shouldn't need yeah. to pretend to be you need to be you but I think most people actually go through this fake it till you make it for so long they actually don't know who they are that yeah that was a, a big challenge was there anything you yeah. kind of did to sort of go on that journey because that's a really hard place to, to be is there anything that you did through that journey to kind of find find out I think I think I re it really resonates what you've said there about how I think some people are just so skilled and at doing that and it becomes just second nature mm -hmm. that they don't even realize that they're doing it like yeah. they don't even understand that that's what's happening anymore I think that is what when it was almost like a fog lifting when I realized that that was the reality that actually I was accessing a part of myself that like people around me don't even know that they need but it I mean and I think it's okay I really no judgment on anybody else I think we do what we need to do to survive and some people are they'd go through their entire careers without ever mm -hmm realizing that that's what's happening and and that's fine if people have the capacity to do that and it works for them um but i think for me it was it was about realizing that actually people did have lives outside of work and people were completely different people in the workplace <laughs> and and i actually i can't i think it was around the time when so i met my partner and we we ended up getting engaged and I got married and I remember thinking it was so strange that I was I had we were planning this wedding at home and I was inviting like hundreds well not hundreds we we invited probably about 120 guests to our wedding mm -hmm. and and there was maybe three people from work that I invited mm -hmm. and I thought I spend 
you know, like 50% of my waking time on this planet with these people. And I can't, I can count on one hand the amount of people in this room that I would invite to my wedding. Mm. And it wasn't because I didn't like them, but it's, I just knew intrinsically, like, I don't know these people yeah. and they don't know me because I don't share that part of my life with them. So I think that was a really, once I started really investing in my family, I suppose, mm. and kind of recognizing that my health and well-being starts at home and actually start mm. building routines with my partner and creating a life and a home that supported my um, neurodiversity and supported me to thrive in that. It, it's sort of the veil started slipping then mm. at work. I think that was probably one of the catalysts for that change. Um, and it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a kind of a buildup of, of kind of overwhelming work or anything like that, because the work had always been overwhelming. Yeah. I think it was a, a buildup in the foundations in other areas of my life, like my family and my being in touch with what I needed to, to feel happy because I hadn't quite figured that out before that time. Mm. That sort of meant that I wasn't able to carry on in this space anymore in the same way where I'd been faking it, you know? Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. And as you're saying this, I've talked to quite a few guests who've experienced burnout and uh, yeah. the pattern has sort of been kind of overwhelming work. But I'm wondering if, if those guests are listening to this, whether what you've just said, actually they might reframe how they thought about that and whether actually what you've just said might actually be underlying the cause of their burnouts as well. So I wonder if people might re reframe how they've thought of, thought of this. Um, because yeah. what most people, when they're burning out, they look to work as the first cause because it's an obvious place, right? It's typically a stressful place, right? Like you say, whether that's in the third sector where it's a different type of mm. uh, stress or whether it's in a corporate world where it's a different type of stress or you know whether it's um you know in in a um like a caring profession or a uh a emergency services it's again it's different again but it's all mm. kind of similar but actually if there's other things at home where you're it's not quite right or it's not quite set up for you to su succeed as a as a person whether that's like just a few small tweaks that need may need to be made or like there's some big changes that are not quite there yeah you could well be looking at work and you could quickly run to change your job or quit your job or whatever, but that's just a sticky mm. plaster because the root cause hasn't changed, but you've looked over here yeah. and you've missed this other thing that's sitting there. I think that's, I think that's so important. Yeah. And I mean, this is a bit of a segue onto a different kind of thing, but it reminds me this conversation about burnout. So I'm a, I'm an adopted person. So I'm an adoptee. And, and me and my partner have also gone through the adoption process in the last few years. Um, and it reminds me of, so I've read and considered my own adoption and learned a lot about adoption. And by all accounts, I had a very, very happy adoption, you know, so like I have a loving adoptive family. Um, but through my reading about adoption, I've been connected with a, a a community of adoptees on Twitter and other places you can search hashtag adoptee voices it's really really interesting because the majority of people that are talking from the adoptee community about adoption are very very critical of adoption as as a system and 
whilst I'm not kind of anti-adoption, I'd never even considered before that there was anything to be cynical about or question or critical about the adoption mm -hmm. system. And I think that's because I was so entrenched in it. And in my family, like, and what I realized through connecting with that community is that I had spent my entire life as an adoptee, yeah. as a kind of people pleaser. So I, I'd learned very early on to kind of mask any sort of trauma and hurt that I had mm. and perform this like good little adopted kid. And, you know, I learned very early on not to ask a lot of questions because, you know, I didn't want to upset my parents. I didn't want to upset my family. I didn't want to seem ungrateful. Mm. And what I've, what I've learned from connecting with the adoptee community is that actually the narratives about adoption that are purely about you know, how we should be grateful for, you know, being adopted, really what what that does is it silences the adoptee experience. It silences people from being able to talk about their experience authentically and bring any sort of trauma. Because mm -hmm. if you talk about your trauma, you're undermining what adoption is and adoption, you know, rescues people from these difficult situations. And I know that's a bit of a segue, but I've I've learned a lot about myself through connecting with the adoptee community. And I think actually there's a lot of parallels with burnout and employment because actually yeah. we're we're constantly told that we should be grateful to have a job, that we should be grateful to have, you know, money and a roof over our head. And I think to question that seems almost like a an entitled position, you know, but actually there are so many things about our working conditions that we're just, you know, we, we just accept without having any sort of critical thought around. And I think one of the things for me was once I started to get that, once, once I started to realize that actually I could direct my own time, I, I had more autonomy in my life, um, more happiness it you know it's it it showed this kind of working environment in this stark light which was like actually this is a space where i feel absolutely you know oppressed in, in mm -hmm. a sense i mean i know that's an extreme word but i did feel oppressed by the working the rigid working conditions yeah. the rigid tight expectations around me and my time and my performance and the way that was managed and you know it was just I, I felt stifled and suffocated by it mm -hmm. um and in the adoption community they talk about the fog lifting um which is when people start to come out of the fog and they realize that actually there are things that we are allowed to be critical about when it comes to adoption. And I think my burnout was kind of like that. It was sort of like a fog lifting. It was like, maybe I don't have to be grateful to this employer. Maybe, maybe I have skills that they should be grateful to have in their organization. They should value me rather than it being the other way around, you know? And it was just a real, I think it was subtle, but it was very, very significant for me. Um, yeah. I really like how you talk about the interconnectedness of everything because as you were talking about the um, kind of parallels with the adoptee and the adoptee voices I was also thinking uh, around adoptees got to appear grateful and, and must appear to be a people pleaser and 
your and in your kind of career in the in the charity sector and that needing to uh, the charity sector demanding you to to look devoted to the cause well of course you're like well hey i can do that i've been doing this my whole life and then, exactly yeah <laughs> like no no problem guys i got this um yeah. and then actually as that fog lifts you kind of ask some of those those questions and i think burnout as a fog lifting is a really interesting perspective because i i've always perceived burnout as a fog descending but your mm. way of describing it as a fog lifting actually i really like that because that's about using burnout to empower you to mm. see new perspectives and, and accept new new things rather mm. than it being a bad thing that's descending on you that stops you doing anything like that. I really like that reframing. I, I like your, your intersectionality. And, and do you maybe want to talk a little bit about kind of how that, that feeds into to Learnest and how you um, have kind of constructed, because obviously 2018 to, to now, it's been a bit of a, a journey. Do you maybe want to, you gave a bit of a summary earlier, but should we, should we talk a bit more detail about the, the journey mm. of Learnest? Yeah, so we are a community interest company and we were set up, um, to support LGBT people in sort of dealing with challenges in the workplace as a result of being LGBTQ plus. But what we quickly realized is that the majority of people that we work with have um, dual, I suppose, dual lived experiences that, you know, it's never just about them being an LGBTQ plus person. There's always something else with it as well, because, and it makes sense because, you know, we're not, we're not a monolith you know we don't we, as a as a group we don't just have one experience like we are lots of different things some of our some of the people we work with are people of color and experience racism in the in the workplace mm -hmm. some of the people we work with are disabled and experience ableism in the workplace which is compounded by being LGBT as well. And one of the things that I'm really, really interested in is imposter syndrome. Mm. And we've done a lot of work with our communities about imposter syndrome. And I've done a lot of like reflection <laughs> on it myself as well. Um, because, you know, I often feel like an imposter and I know a lot of people that I work with do as well. And one, I worked with a a group of people and what we kind of we did a bit of research where we realized that actually there is evidence to show that lgbtq plus people do experience imposter syndrome at higher rates than non-lgbtq plus people mm, and i think that makes a lot of sense when you know you maybe grow up in a world that in your childhood you might look around you and, and almost see that you're different you know you see that you from the get-go you know that you stand out and you know that you maybe feel like you're not on you're not on solid grounds you know so that you, you have extra work to do to kind of prove yourself especially in kind of corporate environments i think you know where like you are amongst cisgender hetero sexual people you know who you know maybe just never really think about you know their position in the world because they're at the top of the the triangle of um um privilege i suppose so yeah that's one of the things that we've done a lot of work around um as an organization obviously we were hugely hit like everyone was by covid we do the majority of our work is we do training and 
equality, diversity, and inclusion training um, mm. for businesses and organisations. And we employ LGBTQ plus people with lived experience to deliver that training. So we train people up, we deliver it to corporations and businesses. All of our work, pretty much, all of our corporate traded work dried up like overnight, you know, because obviously organizations, our clients, their priorities completely changed. A lot of people were putting their entire staff teams on furlough, you know, yeah. so it, it, you know, equality and diversity inclusion work, unfortunately, was not high on the pecking order of priorities in 2020. Um, <laughs> so, so we really had to be kind of fleet of foot as an organization. And actually, simultaneously, we saw the communities that we work with, uh, the community work that we do, um, we saw LGBT people that being hugely affected, you know, that a high percentage of our communities are unemployed already, but also underemployed. So they're in, you know, they're predominantly in industries that were really affected by COVID, you know, they were in hospitality or, um, you know, kind of temporary work or things like that that was just come so a lot of our communities that we work with were put on furlough um and were really really impacted um our community spaces a lot of them closed and yeah. have remained closed um so there was a huge challenge so we shifted our the focus of our work and we got some emergency grant funding so we delivered programs directly to the LGBT community which have been really successful like the mentoring program and we're continuing that beyond the pandemic however we're really trying now to get back to the to building up our traded income um, and becoming because with learners we never wanted to be a charity we never mm. wanted to rely on philanthropy we want to be a successful business where we build our own um, economy, I suppose, circular economy within our organization. Yeah. Um, that was always the intention to build an almost like an, a community owned business, an asset for the community. Um, so we we never wanted to rely on grant funding. We never wanted yeah. to rely on giving or philanthropy. We want to make the majority of our money from traded business. Yeah. So we're getting back there and we're actually exploring new revenue streams in 2022, which is exciting. Um, and it's it's a learning curve for us all, um, but I'm excited about what's next. And I think we've, COVID has been quite a unique time for our business to kind of take stock and kind of really get to the heart of what we're about what we want to do in the future um and how we want to do it yeah make sure it's on our terms so yeah the, as well as kind of lots of challenges i think covid always also brought us a lot of opportunities as well um which feels weird talking about you know a global crisis as a opportunity but it definitely in retrospect has not all been it's not all been terrible for us it's also been kind of a time which i think i'm grateful for um because without it we might not have learned what we've had to learn quite quickly which is you know we really make, need to make sure that everything that we do is kind of for and with our communities um without working directly with and for lgbtq plus people and, and actually providing services for LGBTQ plus people, 
our business really doesn't work. So we have yeah. to make sure that we we are providing those services and adding value to people's lives. Um, so yeah. And actually, just as you were saying value, I was, I was thinking it as well, which is what I really love about what you're doing in Dennis is you are treating people as a whole. Right. So, yes, mm. your focus is on LGBTQ plus, but you're not just saying, well, we're only going to talk about that bit and we're going to ignore the fact that you are experiencing ableism or racism uh, or mm. we, we're just going to look at this bit. You, you're taking people saying, OK, there's this angle, but there's also so much more. Let's look yeah. at you as a person and value you as a person. And then let's see what we can do to help you as an individual. And that's ultimately where, where the value is, right? And in doing yeah. that, you learn a whole bunch of new stuff that you can then feed into your IND courses that you're teaching back out to employers. So actually, you're then even further in enabling you to support employers and you to support people as individuals, whether that's as employees for the future in, in those types of companies or whether that's people that want to do freelancing type type work or whatever whatever it is that success looks like to those individuals you, you're there to support both ways and take that that intersectionality and that cross learning to mean mm. that we're furthering the cause of true inclusion and diversity in yeah. the working world yeah which is which is exactly right and and one of the things that i think we learned very early on is in this in this space that we're we're occupying as an organization it's about employment it's mm -hmm. about routes to employment now most organizations that do that work talk about employability mm -hmm. which I, we we realized very early on that that was the wrong kind of language for us to use with our communities because actually our aim is not to make our communities more employable our aim is to work with organizations to make them safer for yes. people because it's all about communities lgbt people for me i think need to have options where they feel safe if for them that's working freelance and you know using some kind of individual like creative skill that they have to set up their own business or maybe it's you know delivering for amazon or whatever it is you know i want people to do what fits with their life mm -hmm. and so we have a, a course called create your future mm -hmm. that we deliver with our communities so it's not about here i'm going to teach you how to write a cv it's like i'm going to teach you the skills that you need to be able to recognize what you want out of your working life yeah. um what are your goals how does that fit with your personal life how do you want that to interact how do you ensure that you've got enough money to be financially stable? You know, because I think financial financial stability is, you know, it's one of the biggest things for our communities. I mean, for me, I mean, I was in debt for a long time in my life. And I think that that really shrunk the choices and options that I had mm -hmm. about work because I had to just go for the, the job that paid the most, yeah. you know, I had to just go for the opportunity where I was going to get the most money because I was struggling financially mm -hmm. and it shrunk the choices and opportunities in my life. And it wasn't until I got a handle on my finances that I was able to be more empowered about the decisions I make around where I spend my time yeah. and where I choose to do my labor you know yeah. um and i think for so many of our communities there you know we're stuck in a in a in a really 
horrible cycle where mm. it's like we have to take shit jobs that we don't enjoy because we need money to survive mm. and we want to get people out of that space um yeah 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 I I, I hear you and I think oh it's disappeared what I was gonna say but similarly I'll, I'll just say as well that's not about kind of putting people on this conveyor belt of becoming really good employees you know really compliant employees that's not what we're about we we want people who are able to speak up for themselves advocate for their own rights in the workplace that that's our aim as an organization and and you spot what I was, I was going to say which, which <laughs> is that the, the problem isn't that the people in in the community are not employable they're employable no. but people are not making employers are not making safe spaces for these people to work exactly this does not mean that they need to be more employable it means that the employers need to reframe how they think of their working space and their, yeah. their working environment to be friendly to more inclusive communities and that's yeah. not an employability problem that is an employer problem exactly and there's research from all the research that we have in the UK specifically, trans people are one of the most underemployed groups in the country, meaning lots of trans people have very high educational attainment, yeah. you know, qualifications at degree level and above, but end up in roles that they are overemployed, over educated for so they're underemployed to what their qualify qualifications are and I think that that tells a really clear story about mm -hmm. how employers aren't recognizing the the talents that trans and non-binary people bring and there was some research done a few years ago where one in three employers said that they wouldn't necessarily they weren't as likely to employ a trans person as they were a non-trans person. One in three. So like a third wow. of employers were, op were openly said in, in quite a large piece of research that they, they wouldn't employ a trans person above Why? a non-trans person. It's because it's because of discrimination. It's because of um, transphobia. And I think transphobia doesn't necessarily always look like out and out kind of hate crime towards mm. someone it's discrimination like that is insidious and it in it and it is found in the places where i think people people are almost kind of fearful because of their lack of confidence and understanding around an issue and they let that okay. determine their decisions around kind of who's employed and who's not employed um and we really want to change the tide on that. One of our sayings in, in Learners is we are essential because we believe LGBT people are essential. If you're if you want to have a thriving, you know, business that reaches a multitude of clients that is profitable, that is innovative in 2022, yeah. you need LGBTQ plus people around your table. Yeah. It, that 100%. is essential. Yeah. And and we really want that to be the message. It's not like let's work with LGBTQ plus people to make their CVs nicer <laughs> and hopefully hopefully these businesses will cotton on. No. Actually we need to go straight to businesses and say, if you haven't got LGBTQ plus people in your boardroom, you are missing a trick. You know, you are missing a trick 
Um, so yeah, that's that's really at the heart of what we are getting at as an organization. So brilliant. And I, I love it. I love it. And it feels like a good segue to talk a little bit about so you were a trustee on the LGBT yeah. consortium. So can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, so LGBT consortium um is an organization that supports the lgbtq plus sector so they are a charity themselves but what they do is they work with lgbtq plus charities and businesses basically to strengthen their organizational practices and they're also a funder as well so they are a, a grant they give out grants to organizations to grassroots organizations um being part of LGBT consortium for the last, I think it's been nearly a year or coming up to a year anyway, um, it's been amazing. And they're, on, they're an incredible organization that's gone from strength to strength. Um, the staff team there are amazing and they do some incredible work to, um, to support smaller organizations that are facing challenges. Um, so as an example, um, mermaids you know the transgender charity that work with young people have come under a lot of um fire in the media um and there's a lot of backlash around the work that they do by transphobic people um and lgbt consortium really get alongside organizations like that and give them resources and expertise and support um to challenge some of those things and even get alongside them in 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 legal cases where there's been um where some of these things have been um aired in court for various different things you know so it's it's a really i'm learning a lot about um how to well first of all as an individual i think being on a board of trustees has really helped me kind of get to grips with the processes that are needed in order to like ensure that an organization not just survives but grows mm-hmm. um obviously as a, a managing director myself but as someone that doesn't have a business background mm-hmm. i'm very new to i suppose organizational development and business strategy i'm learning definitely on my feet with that but being part of a board for a larger organization has really helped me develop mm-hmm. my skills and my kind of knowledge and I, I work alongside some incredible people on the board as well. Um, but it's also really inspiring to see an organization that is just really committed to its values and knows who it's there for. It's a membership organization um, and it just does incredible work for its members. And I'm really, really proud to be part of, of the board. So, yeah. Brilliant. We're coming to the, the top of the top of the hour now. So one last question for you, which is yeah. what's next for you, for Learnest? What are you most excited about next? Um so one of the things that I'm super excited about is we are applying for some funding at the moment to create, I think I mentioned it before, to open a physical space, um, which is going to be a community hub. Um and we've got big plans for it to be a space for LGBTQ plus people to come together in person, which, you know, most of the spaces that our communities have are kind of gay bars, which are very, very um, 
you know male dominated Mm. and also like if you have any sort of addiction issues or you know have issues with alcohol they're just inaccessible you know they're fueled by drugs and alcohol which you know I'm not there's nothing wrong with drugs and alcohol but for a lot of people families you know it's not the space for them we need more sober spaces Mm, um so we're really excited about opening a physical space but also a physical space brings about opportunities around kind of trading and we're hoping to launch a new shop alongside that um both a physical space but then also an online kind of shop which corresponds with it which again will create more opportunities for our communities to you know sell their goods or you know work through us as a as a kind of broker for them to kind of make money so yeah we're really excited about the the potential of that space so yeah watch this space come and visit us we'll be based somewhere in west yorkshire hopefully by the end of 2022 so yeah super exciting honestly i'm so excited to, to keep watching your journey and you know as you open that space we get to, to chat again and um really really exciting and make sure all your links to your socials are in the description and also links to your yeah. website so everyone can go and follow you follow uh, learnest keep watching the journey because you've got some really exciting stuff coming louis thank you Thanks. so much for being on the podcast you've been a super guest it's been a great conversation thank you so much great thank you so much charlie speak to you soon